Good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G on this great Wednesday. I tell you what, we're now, I'm so excited to be back here. I had a few weeks off to get some R&R, and I encourage you to get your R&R when you can. It allows you to kind of reset, refocus, and then reintegrate yourself back into your daily life. I'm so excited to have another episode here on To Your Health with Dr. G. We're broadcasting live here at Intellectual Radio Studios. We're also on Facebook. What's up, everybody? You know me. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. I tell you what, today's show is so important. We're talking today about dementia, and the title of today's show is Caring for Our Loved Ones with Dementia. You know, every week here on the show, I want to make sure that we bring the right information for you the information that will provide you the success that you need in your health and the ability to care for those, your loved ones, your family, your friends that are so important to you. At the end of the day, of course, I want you to always have this conversation. Talk to your physician. Don't let this conversation end today. We must keep this conversation going on about dementia. So many of us have been touched by dementia. I've had family members that have experienced dementia. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But again, I'm so excited to have everybody here today to talk about this critically important topic of dementia. I want you guys to share this show with as many people as you can. So many people need to hear this message on what we need to do on a growing global health threat. And without us getting together to talk about this, we cannot make any sustainable change. But if we talk about this and have this ongoing conversation and equate dementia with the level of intensity and scrutiny of heart disease and cancer, the possibilities may be endless. It may be great. So I'm so excited to have everybody here today. Again, welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. I tell you what. The panel that I have, I say it every week, and I mean it every week. The panel that I have today is fierce. But we, are, we have experts here today to talk about this, to give you some of the critical information you need to have this conversation. And as you think about those that, have, that, are, that are currently suffering from dementia and those that have already passed with dementia, we're trying to make sure that we are all aware. This show is all about making sure we get the right information to the right people. This show is all about building trust and delivering truth. So again, I'm so excited to have everybody here today. Let me hit you up with a couple quick dementia stats, but before I do that, I gotta hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So I'm going to hit you with a couple different stats because it's important to have this conversation. I want to talk about the impact of dementia. Right now, one in 10 people over the age of 65 years old has Alzheimer's dementia. Right now, we're dealing with an estimated threat. We have an estimated living population in the U.S. of dementia of about 6 million people that are currently living with it. Uh, um, but this number is going to, going to essentially get to about 14 million people estimated by the year 2050. Worldwide, every year, worldwide, 10 million people are diagnosed with dementia. By the year 2050, that number will be 30 million people per year, to the point that the World Health Organization recently came up with a big statement to try to encourage countries, encourage communities, that we're all in this together. We are all facing this problem, and we have to do more. Without any big breakthrough in medical science to either slow down, prevent, or cure dementia, this issue is only going to get bigger. Right now, dementia is a sixth leading cause of death in this country. So we have to have this conversation just like we have about 
heart disease and cancer. So what I want to do is we're going to break this down to you. We're going to talk about today about a little bit about, obviously we're going to talk a lot about dementia, but we're also going to talk about how do you care for people. And the panel that I'm going to introduce you to right now will explain why, and I think this is going to be just a great opportunity to give people the right information right now. So again, I want to introduce my panel today. This is great. So I want to introduce my first guest. I've known him for, for uh, a number of months now. We just had a recent relationship, but we've connected so well uh, that we had to basically, I said, all right, we're going to do a show about dementia, and I've got to have you on the show. So I want to welcome my first guest, Dr. Jason Morris. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and certified dementia practitioner. He's with, the, with his company, Renewed Aging Services. Check him out at www.helptheaging.com. Dr. Morris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. G. Hey, tell us a little bit about your, uh, about your training, where you did some of your training, and then also just a few opening words about what does this theme of dementia mean to you? Okay, well, I started, I completed my training at Illinois School of Professional Psychology in Schaumburg, and from there I transitioned over to a psychiatric hospital in Indiana. Uh, what was unique about that hospital was geared towards geriatrics. Unfortunately, as the disease progresses, we have we have behaviors that uh, are not conducive to the milieu, and so we need some place to be able to allow them to go to treatment and then be able to return to their homes. And that's where I first started being exposed to dementia. Mm -hmm. I've always had a passion and a love for the older generation. Um, I was raised by my grandparents. I was able to see the greatest generation, how they interacted. So I wanted to be able to honor that, and so that's why I was drawn to the hospital in the first place. But I really enjoyed the person-centered area that they were at and try to help those individuals, so I stayed on for several years. Uh, eventually, I decided it was time to, to start things here and try to help individuals before they get to that point. Let's help them out earlier, and that's where HealthyAging.com came from with Renewed Aging Services. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today, and I can't wait to get in more detail about the issue at hand, so thank you again. My next guest on the show, she's, she's been on this show before. I've known her for just, just a great amount of time. She's a dear friend of mine. Uh, she was at my wedding. Yes, that's, that's the truth. It was there. Um, but she's been just a great family friend and just a really great, uh, a great individual. She is a highly sought-after professional. She just is amazing at what she does on a day-to-day -day basis with people. And again, we're all about people helping people. And I think that's one of the things that we've always talked about on this show. So I want to introduce my next guest. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to introduce her, Gwen Cohen. Gwen is the first vice president, wealth advisor at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. You can check her out at her website, advisor.morganstanley.com slash gwen.cohen slash. Gwen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. G. Please give us a little bit more about your training, what you do on a daily basis, and maybe a few opening remarks about the importance of us talking, this, talking today about dementia. Thank you for this opportunity, and I think we have something in common because my grandmother was a person that spent a lot of time with me growing up. Um, I did my graduate work at Northwestern's Kellogg, uh, Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, came to Morgan Stanley a little over 30 years ago, and I came in with the idea that I wanted to do two things for clients, which is to simplify their lives and preserve the things that they treasure. And that's one of the reasons this topic is particularly important for me, because the work that, um, that both of us do, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Morris, is to help people preserve the things they treasure. It's an honor to be here. A lot of my work is around helping families do the planning for those things that we hope won't happen to us, but we want to have a plan in place once they do. 
Excellent. Well, thank you again, Gwen. I can't wait to get into some of these more pertinent questions and have some really great substantive conversation about this such important topic. So you've met my panel today. I want to give a quick acknowledgement to my colleague, Dr. Catherine Stacknick. She helped me do some pre-work uh, showing this. Check out my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. It's also my Facebook approach uh, on everything we need to know about from a clinical standpoint and the importance of dementia. So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Stactic, for a quick announcement. So you met the panel, how the show works. Basically, I ask the panel questions. It's my show, why not? Why not pick on them a little bit? But we want to make sure you have the right information to be successful in your health and in your life. So really, when people come in to see us in the office, we call that the chief complaint. And that's something that we do on, on, on the show every week here. The chief complaint or the question of the hour what we're trying to get at today is how do we best care for our loved ones with dementia? We're going to talk about that. So I want to start out with, uh, with Dr. Morris. I want to ask you the first question. Uh, what is dementia? Just to kind of paint a picture for those of, I mean, a lot of us are familiar with it, mm -hmm. but a lot of us may not be. So I want to make sure we set the record straight on the, on the foundations. What's dementia and what are some of the kind of classic symptoms? Well, dementia is actually a cla uh, an overall umbrella term, uh, and that's for a major neurocognitive disease. Now that can encompass your Alzheimer's disease, it can encompass your vascular dementia. There's actually multiple different types of major neurocognitive that fall under that. But the common theme between all of them is you start having impairments in different areas of your life. Uh, we all are aware of Alzheimer's, which normally comes with a loss of short-term memory first. Um, and then difficulty thinking and planning, those are found in all types of dementias, but they present themselves differently. So the short answer to what dementia is, is when you start having impairments in multiple different areas of your life. And I always tell people, and this is kind of a quick medical thing, you know, if you notice something that's changed, have that conversation. There's no such thing as crying wolf when it comes to your health. I'd rather make sure that's, that I can reassure somebody uh, versus having somebody delay until they finally get into the medical system and then it may be too late to make some substantive changes. So I know as, as you see clients and patients, you know, you're trying to, I know you're certainly trying to get them to say, let's start early. Yes. You know, we're all like, oh, well, I want to have that mentality of being proactive and preventive mm -hmm. versus being reactive. What's your thoughts about that? The reason why we formed Renewed Aging Services was specifically for that point. We have experienced them in the, neuro, in the later stages when they have to go to the psychiatric hospital. But we also know that if we're able to catch uh, and assist somebody early on in the disease, we can put more measures in place, not only to slow the process, but to increase their quality of life overall. So the earlier, the better, and that's what we strive to do. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, Quinn, from a, from a financial standpoint, you know, I think about, as you talked about in your opening words about, you know, you're, you're there to help people plan, they plan, and that's a, such a key word that's so universal across various disciplines, including from my perspective, from a health, from a medical doctor, but your, your perspective as well, too, planning is so important. So let me ask you this, you know, at a high level, what impact does Alzheimer's disease and dementia have on personal finance, and money management. What's your take on that? In much the same way that your physical health is important, your financial health is important. And when a person is impaired, as Dr. Morris was talking about, and they don't have the ability to, um, to make sure their checkbooks are balanced, make sure the bills are paid, make sure their credit scores are where they should be, make sure they've not become a victim of identity theft, those are all issues that can impact your financial wealth. We see every day um, a 45, 55, not to mention an 85-year-old who's been a victim of identity theft. Imagine what it's like for a person who might not have all of their um, mental faculties and may not be able to do the things they need to do. So the planning so that we have 
uh, boots on the ground and a plan in place when this occurs, because this is happening for folks over 65. It's likely that some level of this may happen in, in one out of 10 people. Excellent. You know, I think about how, how, you know, we plan so many things in our life. We plan our vacations down to the T. You know what time your flight's going on. You know what hotel you're staying at. We can plan out our health, and we can plan out our life. Yeah. What's your take on that kind of importance to just make sure, hey, we're, we're really trying to make sure you're secure. You know, I think, like, we are risk-averse as people uh, versus risk-taking. Some people might be risk-taking, but we are risk-averse as people. And so just the same thing as you're talking about with your clients, yeah. how do they stay risk-averse knowing that this, that this condition uh, may either be in their family, because I know you work with clients that have people with Alzheimer's in their, in their family, but people that are at risk, we're looking at the numbers, we're seeing that. So how do we kind of stay risk-averse? Yeah. Dr. Gomez, I love the example you gave. We plan our vacation. We sure you know, do. Where we're going to go, when we're going to go, how long we're going to stay, and what we're going to do while we're there. And one of the important things in my practice is the standard of care we begin with with clients so that we're expecting they're going to be with us when they're 55, 65, even 85. And that standard of care involves doing the planning for the needs, whether it's for dementia care or general long-term care, early on and making that a part of your pre-retirement plan. So, just like I use the example of going on vacation, we recently, with a family vacation, had a family member who had a, um, an injury. We didn't wait until we got to the airport to say, we're going to need a wheelchair because he can't get to the, <laughs> to the gate. We did that in advance. Knowing that these are the kinds of things are, that we may likely face, it's important to have a plan in place. What, what do we expect 10 years from now? What do we expect 20 years from now? What do we set aside in terms of funding for long-term care or dementia care? If we don't have a specific pot of money and know who to contact to get to it, have we explored other options for getting long-term care insurance coverage so that we are less likely to scramble in the event that something does occur and we want to be sure that all of the financial uh, matters are in place before that happens. So that if there is someone that needs to step into your shoes, that a powers of attorney are already set up. Or a trust that identifies a successor trustee. But in addition to that, making sure that a new power of attorney is, not go is going to work with those other documents rather than... Uh, actually work against it. So it's important to have that planning in place. Yeah. Dr. Morris, when you think about planning, you know, if you're seeing, like, like walk me through kind of your mindset. If you have a patient or a client that comes in, a family member knows, notices, hey, this is what's going on with mom or dad. Mm -hmm. um, how do you just start that initial conversation? Because we're talking about trying to care for people and setting them up for continued, um, uh, continued independence as much as they can, but, but still, uh, still continued dignity. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do we, how do we how do you start that up? Because people out there might be listening right now. They might be thinking of a loved one right now, but they might not know where to start. How do you start that out? I appreciate that you use the word dignity mm -hmm. uh, because that is so important. We have a yeah. proud generation, not a haughty proud, but they have built their lives. They have created things not only with their families but with their businesses and with their savings, and they want that preserved. And at no point in time have they ever said, "Take this from me because I'm not worthy anymore." <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Uh, so when I think about that first conversation, that first phone call that I get, it really depends on who it comes from, in fact. Uh, it could be from the individual that has said, I've talked with my doctor, he's a little concerned, um, I'm, I'm looking to get an evaluation, uh, which is an excellent way for me to start from my perspective, because then that individual is open to any discussion that we might have. 
Now, I've also encountered those individuals that I received phone calls from the family, and they have said, Mom and Dad aren't quite right. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going on. Can you help? Uh, because that really, that really changes my approach. The first thing that I always want to keep in mind when I'm working with someone new is my desire is to come alongside them and help them maintain their highest quality of life right where they're at. Now that may that means something different to each individual person, but that's exactly why I do this because I want to offer that individualized plan as we work with those people. And so if it means for them that I just want to know and I want to keep it to myself, we have that discussion, okay? When I sit down with someone, sometimes we don't find anything wrong. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is normal aging and they're just worried because they don't want to have those things taken from them. Yeah. So it's not my goal to diagnose each person that comes in the room, to the room. My goal is to provide them information so they can make the right decision for them. And it's a great way to think about it. And it still gives, the, gives that person uh, uh, to be, it allows them to be active in their care. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that sometimes people fear about when you're going, talking about dementia that People certainly, if somebody's at the earlier stages and they still have some relatively preserved cognition, you know, you want them to be involved in their care. Just like if I saw somebody that has high blood pressure or diabetes, I want them to be intimately involved in their care. You're gonna yes. obviously, as, as we're always gonna go to bat for our uh, for the people that we work with, but we want to continue to keep that again. I love that word, that dignity, but also keep them engaged uh, in their well-being at That's all true. costs. So sure. let me ask this question to Gwen. You know, um, you know, we're talking about you know we. We're talking about how you know getting people into to a person like Jason or a person uh, like me um, because that shows a very good care from the family members. But I want to ask you this question: you know, as your how do you kind of get clients? You know, if somebody's going through some memory challenges, how do you get clients, uh, maybe family members, to assert financial control over that person that we're talking about? How do how do you kind of have those kind of conversations? Uh, and are there ways? to help without removing all autonomy mm -hmm. of the person and their independence. Yeah, so I'm hearing two questions. Okay. One, how do we engage that conversation initially yes. and once we're seeing some things happening, how do we make sure that we're interacting with the right people Correct. who can look out for the best interest of that particular person, yes, that please. patient, if you will. So first of all, it's, it's a part of our standard of care to make sure that we're doing everything going forward to help people plan for the first half of their retirement, which is a lot of trips, a lot of cruises, <laughs> lots of shows, and a few doctor's appointments to the second phase of retirement, which is fewer of those shows and, and fewer trips and more visits to the doctor's office and another visit to a rehab facility. So in that process, we're helping them to understand it. We also have the benefit of many clients who have parents who are already experiencing this. And it helps us bring that conversation forward when they say, um, my mother or my father's been diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. So it helps us have that conversation with them. And it gives me an opportunity to say, well, I'm really happy that you already have your documents in place for that. That is one of the very reasons we review it every year. That's one of the other reasons that I'm glad you're involved with your parents because your children will likely want to be involved with you. So working with more than one generation has certainly made that very helpful. When we find that a person is already on that journey, if you will, um, a client is already uh, experiencing Alzheimer's or some other signs of, of, of dementia. We use that as an opportunity to, to use some of the tools that we already have. We already have 
a trusted contact on file. We'll likely be already working with family members, so we make sure we know how to engage with them. But the other thing we do is we talk with them about specific things that we've agreed to do already. You know, when you've been working with somebody for a few years, it's like, remember we did this? Well, we agreed to do this, and last year at your review, you felt that this was your trusted. This may be an opportunity for us to work with your son, with your daughter, to make sure you've got identity theft protection, to make sure your passwords are being changed, to sit with you and do your bills. And then I can very often ask the client themselves, do you still prefer to leave the bills on automatic pay? A lot of our clients have it on automatic pay because it's easy to do that now that we have busy lives. It makes it easier. Would you prefer now, Mr. Johnson, that um, your daughter sits with you once a month to walk through the automatic pay list? Oh, sure, that would be wonderful. Those are the conversations that help instill a comfort. It makes sure that we recognize the dignity of the person that has built all those assets in the first place, but it also makes sure that family members are engaged and they then understand why it was so important to get those documents in place very early. It makes the path so much easier when that's done. And by the time that meeting ends, we always ask, who else do you know that might want to just have a sit down, to have a second look? And it's an opportunity for us to help a person that they know and care about to be on the same kind of planning. Excellent. Thank you for breaking that down. You know, we are all connected in the things, you know, there's a lot of things that, that unite us when it comes to, around health, oh. around issues. And certainly, when you think about your loved one uh, with dementia, I know a lot of us have been touched. My grandmother uh, suffered from dementia on my mom's side. And, and certainly, seeing those kind of interactions uh, before she passed and how it kind of progressed, you know, those are those are tough, and I know I know with my my parents having my have my grandmother move in with them, that creates a whole other dynamic. Yes. And so and so, but with a lot of people out there that are listening to us, listeners can relate to that exact story, yes. uh, and it can change the dynamic. And without preparation, without frank conversation, we wouldn't know what to do. So I'm glad this conversation is happening today because we I have to too. do it. You know, the important thing is, please. People talk about how difficult it is to have the conversation. I'm convinced that the earlier we have those conversations, the better it is, and the easier every conversation after that will be. And, and I'm sure that's, I know that that's true. I mean, it I is. think about so many families that I have worked with yeah. where the conversation has not been had. Yeah. And then typically it's the, it's the oldest female uh, in the family that has to all of a sudden be called on to start doing extra things with mom or dad. Yeah. And so she's trying to balance her life with her own children and also mom and dad's and at that point in time she's inadvertently become a caregiver she'd never planned on and that's very stressful it is. and then she doesn't know or he there's always a chance that if they're doing the right thing or the thing that the individual would want and that causes tension and that is so difficult to navigate so having that conversation early having those early diagnoses yeah. is not only beneficial for the individual, but for their families. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, I want to piggyback on what you said about not creating that tension, but the reality is a lot of times we get into those conversations or those situations. I have plenty of patients that I've worked with over the years where maybe an older child, uh, an adult child, was making some of those decisions on behalf of their elderly parent who was going through memory challenges, and then you know, gets wind of another sibling gets wind of it, and then there's conflict. Mm -hmm. But and then the reality is that nobody wrote anything down, and nobody had that discussion. Right. And, and that is is a very a very tough situation to be in because now you're fighting over different things for that elder parent that you're caring for, 
and now somebody gets dragged into that, and then we're talking about not preserving the dignity right. of that individual or their wishes. You made a very important Please. point, and I think it's so it's so helpful for families to literally sit and talk about this. And the recommendation is to build a dream team, and that dream team is going to involve a medical professional, a financial advisor, and in some cases it'll also involve a legal advisor to make sure that everything is in place the way it should be. But also just to listen, forget the, the, the dollar signs and the legalese, and say, what is your wish when you are 85 or 75 or 90? And have those conversations and make sure those plans are in place and followed up on it. It's one of the things that helps avoid that kind of conflict with families who are, in some cases, we say they're in mourning and in the dark because they've lost the parent that they once knew. And they're in the dark about what's going on, and that reaction sometimes is one of fear. This is one of the greatest fears of Americans facing Alzheimer's. Please go ahead, Jason. And when I think about that, that fear is real, not only for the Absolutely. individual, but for the one they're caring for, because you'd mentioned you know, what happens with the person. Unfortunately, dementia oftentimes is referred to as a disease of two deaths, mm. because you have the individual that suffers from the dementia, and their personality changes as, as it progresses. And so you're taking care of the person that they used to be. You're preserving the, the body out of respect for that loved one that has raised you or been such an intricate part of your life. Yeah. Uh, and then you have to watch the body deteriorate until it eventually it fails, and then yeah. you have to mourn that. It, it's heartbreaking, which is why it's so important that not only the individual has somebody to help them, but also the caretaker, because oh, caretaker so burnout is so, is so prevalent. Uh, you know, the doubt, the, the despair, just not feeling that they have anyone to turn to, and it leaves you feeling very alone as a caretaker. When I was a, when I was a resident at the VA hospital, what would happen quite often when I was on call and, uh, and in the ER, you would have family members drop their elder parent off uh, at this time, gentleman at that time, but you would have their, the elder parent would be dropped off in the ER, and before you can get down there and get a story from the parent, from, from the elder child, uh, that uh, they were nowhere to be found, and it's like it got to a mm -hmm. point where they, they had a breaking point and said, I can't do this anymore, yes. I don't have the resources, I, I don't know what to do, I'm frustrated, all this kind of stuff, and then here, just take it from here. And, and then you're trying to play detective right. as a clinician on call to find out what does this person need, the person can't say for themselves, what are their wishes, oh, there's something documented. And so it's just, it's, yeah. just a, it's just a snowball effect that can, uh, that can have significant ramifications. And so we have to continue to have this conversation. If we don't have this conversation, which we're having this today, but if people out there are listening are not having, are not having that conversation, then it's going to be hard for us to help you out. Right. And, and that, is, that is why conversations like this are, between all of us are so important. Mm -hmm. So important. Let me ask this question to, to, to Gwen. So, um, so we talked about family, and I want to talk about a reality thing. Um, we talked a little bit about identity theft that can happen, but I want to kind of ask this question in this play for Alzheimer's and dementia. So here's my, here's my kind of statement and my question. So it's no secret that those with dementia and Alzheimer's are generally more susceptible to financial fraud. So what are some of the red flags of financial fraud, and how can family members and loved ones uh, help to decrease some of that vulnerability. And you think about caregivers, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes there's some nefarious people out there uh, that want to take advantage of somebody that may have some some really good assets, a family member that may have had a little disconnect with their elder parent, but takes advantage of that. So how do we kind of talk about that? 
So one of the things that's so important is to recognize that all of these issues affect everybody. They just affect um, a person who's experiencing um, dementia at a greater level. So some of the things that you look for are that are that are signs. Um, a person may find that their own parent has uh, unpaid bills, or they may find that um, there are charges that seem unusual, wire transfers, because some of it, because of loneliness, also involves um, financial transactions because of a, an, an alleged romantic interest. So those are some of the signs. But then I think there's some other things that we look for, too. Um, we look for changes in behavior. Um, sometimes a, a person who has previously been uh, totally articulate begins to respond differently to an email or to a phone conversation or, or, or to a conversation. Their own family members see it and sometimes they don't necessarily pick up on it. So when you look at the financial side of, of it, people who are no longer interested in balancing a checkbook. We had a conversation about that a little bit earlier. Somebody who's done it religiously before. Someone who um, has stacks of money that just turn up being missing. I withdrew $5,000 out of this account and have no idea what happened to it. Many of those are signs, and it's so important that family members are comfortable having a conversation with a parent to say, you know, um, this may be something that, that we can help you with, in much the same way they would offer help for a person who's experiencing uh, kidney failure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, go ahead, Jason. Uh, I just want to think about on that because recent study came out that those that suffer from financial changes, particularly those that have been uh, defrauded, uh, that has been shown to be a sign of, of Alzheimer's. Uh, that's early on. Right. And that's exactly where we want to start intervening uh, when we see that before the changes get any worse. But uh, So that should always be a red flag for families when those yeah. kinds of things happen. And you make an excellent point about the personality changes and, and the loss of things because that just shows that there is some impairment. Yeah, and one of the things that we've been very proactive in in this area is one, providing identity theft protection. Not just identity theft monitoring, but actual protection mm -hmm. for our clients to make sure that when something like this does occur, um, that we're able to help them. I'll give you one other example. Please go it ahead. Has happened, it has happened to me. I will get an email from a client, and it's clear from the email itself that it didn't come from the client, okay. which means their entire email um, system has been hacked. And we have steps for doing that, and we make sure we provide support. First of all, you don't send them an email back to the same email no, address. No, no. <laughs> don't, don't. Um, because a lot of things have happened as a result of it, and they will call people on your email address and say, I need money. Um, so we have extra steps so that a person who sends an email like that and is requesting a wire transfer, they can't get the money just on that email by itself. Mm -hmm. A couple of other things, um, a senior hotline. We offer that in support of families that may be experiencing it. And in some cases, it may be a distant family member or not so distant family member that might be taking advantage of, of, of that person. And we make sure that we provide the support that takes it from um, the initial awareness of that problem to resolution, even if it includes um, uh, charges. Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about, again, safeguarding a lot of things. And as I said earlier, we, we want to be risk averse with anything that we do in our health and in our life. And so it's important to have these kind of conversations, and I'll take a quick moment to acknowledge uh, we're here at Intellectual Radio Studios. Again, we're talking about caring for uh, our levels of dementia. So, so let me ask this question. I'll ask this one to Jason. So, you know, reality is that we're, we're talking about trying to care and, and try to prepare ourselves. 
We have to have that conversation earlier in life. We can't start having that conversation when we're all 75 years old. We got to start having this like right now. Like I mean, I mean, I think about uh, my 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 medical colleagues. My wife and I have had these kind of conversations about making our wishes known. Mm -hmm. But how do we talk about starting a conversation about something that we don't know? I mean, statistically, more and more people are going to get Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. That's that's a fact. Mm -hmm. But 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 a lot of times right now, when you're when you're younger, you don't think ahead like that. No. So how do we start having that conversation when actually somebody's feeling well and healthy mm. to know that, hey, 20, 30, 40 years down from the road, you might be a person that has Alzheimer's. Mm. How, do you, how do you have that kind of conversation at an earlier age? Well, when I think about having that conversation with someone at an earlier age, I think about planning for retirement. You know, uh, many of the things that cause dementia-like symptoms, be it pseudo-dementia or actual dementia, are lifestyle related um, and so having a better lifestyle now when you're younger and you feel like you can take on the world it is a good pattern to develop in order to stave off uh, possible dementia like symptoms later on yeah that was a big th announcement actually that was part of something in the world health world health organization's uh, global release uh, uh, a few weeks ago where they said basically uh, the, first of all, they say the basic level approach, if you don't want to get dementia, the best thing you can do is lifestyle. The same, same yeah. things that we talk about for heart disease, having a healthy lifestyle, staying physically active. I say like this, move more, eat better, <laughs> stress less. Yes. You can keep That's that going on yeah. and then maybe sleep a little bit more too. But move move more, eat better, stress less. Those are foundational things that we talk about for heart disease, diabetes, cancer. The same applies to Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Mm. But but the reality is that, is that a lot of us I feel like as a clinician, and I, I have to acknowledge that I, I try to do good as well as I can, mm -hmm. but I know I can do better to start having that conversation for somebody who might be 50, but maybe they have a family history, right. or somebody who's 60, or even somebody who's 40, to just uh, do a quick questionnaire. If they come in for their physical, we can actually, for, for a lot of our patients, we can ask them a couple quick questions that the, even the medical assistant can do. And I have this interesting stat, and I want to kind of get your interpretation on this. This is from Alzheimer's Association, www.alz.org. So uh, they basically say that, quote, only 16% of seniors receive regular cognitive assessments during routine health checkups. Mm. That's a big gap that we got to close. Yes. I'm trying to do it, but how do we start closing that gap to say, all right, every time you come in to see your doctor or you get a routine check, we need to acknowledge a couple of type of questions like that. I'm glad you brought that up because that is very important because I think if, as you read through that, you find out why that statistic is only 16%. Mm. If you read through that article, what it states is individuals who are over 65 feel that if the doctor thought it was important enough, they would bring it up, oh. and the <laughs> general the and the general yeah, practitioner says, if it was important enough to the individual or they were they concerned, would, they, would, they would bring yeah. it up. So, There's so both parties are mm -hmm. passing it off on the other, mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back to personal responsibility. Okay, it's important. Conversations like this bring it to the forefront. Yeah. So, make sure that you're active in your care, active in the things that you do in life. And so that you're aware of those things that you need to be aware of. Now, I know we talk about empowerment with your health because I want people to be engaged. You know, going from your perspective as a wealth advisor, you know, as we're talking about people that may be at risk for this diagnosis, how do we get them engaged and empowered to take care of their finances, to plan for this kind of stuff? Well, we start yeah. early. We start early. We're, what is it? Early and often? Yes. And we're <laughs> consistent with that. So that there are certain things that we're doing in your 30s, also in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, 
and there is there is a standard of care that gives attention to many of those things that that are necessary one thing that i expect clients to do in preparation for a review meeting is what are the things you want to talk about and it was interesting that on one occasion a few years ago um, a couple responded and it was the female who filled it out and she said um, my husband seems to be showing signs of Alzheimer's that changed the entire agenda for us mm -hmm. so we provided support that gave them resources in elder care gave them resources with the Alzheimer's Foundation we already knew who their family members were who their children were we encouraged them to invite their uh, their children into the conversation. We had another meeting later. So it's each one is going to be individual, as Dr. Morris was saying. we got to start with where the concerns are. The key is making sure that we're very much aware, and every member of, of the staff is also looking out for signs of, of things that might be able to allow us to do it, and to be able to do it with dignity, and also to make sure that they are an important part of that conversation. They get to set part of the agenda for the meetings, they also help us determine what are the conversations we want to have with your children now. You may not want to tell them that this is the amount of money in the accounts, mm -hmm. but how can we help you empower your children to be a part of this conversation? What can we do to help you with the conversation with your medical doctor next time? And what things do you want to have in a conversation with your, tr with your trust attorney? What are the things we need to work on? Is the person you identified on your power of attorney two years ago still the person you want? very important. It's very important to make sure that if you've contacted somebody to draw up other powers of attorney, they're not in conflict with the documents you already have in place. Those are ways that we can help them. And clients have said, you know, I didn't think about that. I'm glad we're talking about that because it puts them in a better place. And it also allows them to have a more comfortable conversation with their own children when we're not in the room. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about some, some of the more demographics. I'll ask this question to Dr. Morris. You know, we can acknowledge the fact that, again, some of the statistics will say one in ten adults over the age of 65 will have dementia. Mm -hmm. um, Two-thirds of, of Americans with dementia are women. Uh, mm -hmm. And we see some demographics where African Americans and Hispanics have higher rates of dementia mm -hmm. versus their Caucasian counterparts. How do we kind of interpret that kind of thing? How do, when you hear those kind of numbers or those statistics, what does that mean for you? What does it also say on the amount of work that we still have to do to create more awareness? Oh my, that, that just means more research needs to be done. And the great thing about it is there is a driving desire to do more research. I mean, I think specifically about what you were just bringing about, about the disparity between Caucasians and between African Americans and those, those other non-whites. Uh, what has come out of that has been very interesting. And I say that because most researchers, most doctors are aware of the FEOE gene. Well, what they found out through doing more in-depth research, particularly with African Americans, is they found another gene that could be associated with Alzheimer's, the ABCA7. Mm -hmm. uh, along with that, they have also discovered things that come to mind is African Americans typically have a slower onset, and if they have been raised in struggling environments, they're less likely, whereas their Caucasian counterparts, if they're raised in stressful environments, have an increase. Hmm. So we know that there are gene differences that we need to be aware of, and that's what those research brings out. Make sure that we as professionals are aware of those things so that way we can be more able to help those that are in front of us. Excellent. You know, it's interesting, and when you think about the, that, we just have to clearly do more work, but, but those populations also need to be more comfortable in having these frank conversations with that population, because that's sometimes those populations are may not be aware. I want to ask a kind of a follow-up question to Gwen related to 
uh, these kind of populations. I don't, I, I, you know, that are more more at risk. And so, how do you kind of, as a financial advisor, you know, how do you how do you kind of start that conversation in a population that may have a little more of a I don't want to say a disadvantage from an economic standpoint, but but if we have more frank talk, you know, how do you start talking about, hey, this might be going on uh, for you as far as how to save uh, for for care if you're not having much to save with at the beginning, if you kind of get what I'm saying. How do we start I, that I think that gives me an opportunity to talk about something that's so important at, at the very outset. We talked about the importance of planning and the importance of having things in place when a person is planning for retirement. They're also planning for Alzheimer's care or some other form of long-term care that's necessary. We have conversations with all of our clients about the importance of what do you do with the bonus check that you're going to get? What do you do with the, the refund from your, from your taxes? What are you going to do when you sell that piece of property that, that you bought for your son who's no longer in college? Much of the conversation is around creating opportunities for people to do the right thing for something that may not even be on their radar screens right now, but will become important to them later. So when, when you consider that um, many, many people who are experiencing Alzheimer's with a parent are not even thinking yet, what am I doing to prepare my children for the same thing? So that's a question that I'm going to bring up anyway. We find ways of doing it. And um, we discovered um, one of the most wonderful gifts that uh, a proud son or daughter can give to a parent is when they're young enough, since you're already out of college, you're out of grad school, medical school, is to offer to cover a long-term care insurance premium for a parent. This is a way of saying, I love you. It's also a way to get engaged with the parents to say, this is, this is what it looks like. This is the kind of care it provides. This is a situation where it is encouraging you to stay healthy. It's about lifestyle and doing the things that you want to do. These are ways we can benefit from it. And we've seen some wonderful things happen in terms of conversations that become a lot easier because someone took an initiative that they might not have taken before. I want to piggyback with you, and maybe uh, you know, either you can answer this question, but one of the common misconceptions out there is that when it comes to caring and doing long-term care is that Medicare insurance will pay for everything. Uh, can one of you debunk that uh, r r really quickly, uh, uh, you know, because uh, that's, that's, that's the truth, is that unfortunate a lot of that stuff is not necessarily considered a medical expense when it, costs, when it comes to the cost of care. The, the best you can hope for is Medicaid, uh, and the problem with that is Medicaid requires a spend down. So everything that you've acquired through your entire life has to be liquidated before they will take over and provide more care. And that is one thing that I see most often that really brings out a lot of despair in an individual that's now left in that position, um, is everything I worked for for my entire life is now gone. I don't have anything to show for it except yeah. these, except this shared room with another person. And it's, it's a struggle to work through that. And, and it's that's hard true. for the children to be able to watch that go through their parent. Uh, not only that, but you know, we also have to look for the, at the aspect of, ideally as parents, we want to leave something to our children. Um, and if we weren't, didn't have the ability to look ahead and plan for this, then we're, we're not leaving anything for our children. That's very so, important. Uh, and it's very often not the care that you would expect, what, what's available. Look at what's happened to Medicaid. Yeah, That's not what we would expect to have. Yeah, so yeah. when people really understand what that care looks like, most people, that'll, 
in many cases, help people do the planning for themselves. That's not what I want, so I want another alternative. And, and trust me, I see that on a daily basis with yeah. a lot of my patients that are going through that process. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's care, but it's minimal care. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we have to we have to look at that for what it is. It provides what you need, but nothing else. Well, that's some deep stuff. There's no, mm -hmm. but this is important why we have to talk about this and feel com feel comfortable doing so. So, what I want to do right now is I want to we're just having this great conversation about just the impact and how do we kind of set it up for planning and caring for our loved ones for a medical condition that is going to continue to grow and touch many people. So I'm going to go into a section that we do each week on Tear Earth with Dr. G called Myths versus Facts. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say a statement and then um, a panelist is going to say a myth or uh, say myth or fact first and then a few sentences why that is a myth or a fact. Uh, it's going to be kind of rapid fire, but again, we're talking about setting the record straight when it comes to caring for our loved ones with dementia. So here we go. Caring for our loved ones with dementia, myths versus facts. On two with Dr. G. Here we go. First statement, uh, Dr. Morris. Here we go. Quote: uh, Maintaining a healthy diet, drinking water, and minimizing stress are some ways to best support healthy living. Is that a myth or a fact? That's a fact. All right, please explain. <laughs> That's a fact because so many things are. We do know that there are genes associated with Alzheimer's disease. But many of the types of dementias have a behavioral component that's, that's a lifestyle, and that can be adjusted. Thank you. Here we go. Gwen, next statement for you. Myth or fact? My family and I don't need to plan ahead financially for the possibility of Alzheimer's or dementia. <laughs> I think those that have been listening to this show already can answer that. That is a myth. Please explain. And, and I, I, I think we've, we've already seen examples of it in terms of the planning. If there is not money or resources available that are already set aside, somebody who's already had more than one rodeos, somebody who can provide boots on the ground to help a family who's never gone through it before. The planning is so important because most people are not willing to give up their lives, as some people have, though, in order to care for a parent. And very often, the care that they can provide is not enough. Absolutely. They will require a lot more. So it's absolutely necessary that the planning, um, that, that having that planning in place is, is helpful. Thank you. Here we go, Dr. Morris. Myth or fact, here we go. Uh, I like this one here. Uh, Alzheimer's is a, leading cause of, is, is a leading cause of disability and poor health. Uh, myth. myth. Uh, Alzheimer's is a disease that, that does degrade the body. Uh, but it is not a leading cause because there are so many other lifestyle things, such as heart disease, uh, that are much more prevalent. Absolutely. Yeah. Heart disease, cancer, much more prevalent. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, here we go. Uh, Gwen, here's a nice one here. I like this one. Um, here's, here's a quote. My health or disability insurance will cover my long-term care. Oh, myth. Right, please explain. Disability insurance is, is provided for people who are gainfully employed and disability covers a portion of the wages that have been missed because of it. Long-term care um, includes um, a number of both medical and non-medical uh, services to support someone who's not able to carry on some of the activities of daily living that allow them to continue their lifestyle. All right, thank you. Here we go, Dr. Morris. Here's the next statement. Uh, here's a, here it is. One in three seniors dies with Alzheimer's or another dementia. Again, it's myth or fact. I think that's a fact. More and more research is showing that mm. uh, if not Alzheimer's, Vascular is becoming a very prevalent uh, diagnosed dementia, uh, along with Lewy bodies. So, no, definitely a fact. Excellent. Thank you very much. Here we go, Gwen. Here's a statement. It's okay to dip into retirement savings to help cover the cost of Alzheimer's for a loved one. That's kind of a loaded one for you. Ah, so it's okay 
for me to dip into my retirement savings to cover long-term care for a parent? That's the, that's the statement. That's okay. More or less. Um, <laughs> planning will allow you to d use other alternatives because when I do that, I have a tax penalty for doing it early. Um, so that's, that's the situation. Anytime money is taken out of a retirement account prematurely, you pay taxes on it. It's another one of the reasons that planning is going to be so important. Excellent. Thank you. Here we go. Uh, Dr. Morris, here we go. I like this one. Uh, here's a quote. After retirement, Medicare will cover my health costs for life. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like, triple myth. No. Yeah, triple myth. <laughs> Please explain. Uh, um, the best way to look at that is it will provide daily care as when you were working, but it's not intended to be your long-term care. And so you need to be able to, to acknowledge that because that money will have to come from somewhere. Excellent. Thank you. We'll do a couple more of these. I like this one. Here we go. Gwen, for you, I like this one. Um, I think we hopefully debunked this one. The, the, those of you out there that weren't paying attention, but here, pay attention right now. Here we go. Those with Alzheimer's are more susceptible to financial fraud. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. So that is a fact. Absolutely Please explain. Fact. Um, when you look at the, those of us who are 35, 45, 50 who are, who are subject to financial fraud, it's, there's a greater likelihood for a person who may have difficulties counting money or making change or paying bills. Um, the likelihood is much, much greater. Thank you. Very and much. the risk of losing um, your financial health is a greater likelihood in a situation like that. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll do two more of these. Here we go. Dr. Morris, Alzheimer's is not a part of normal aging. What's your talk on that one? It's not a part of normal aging. That is, that is correct. Um, Alzheimer's is not a part of normal aging. I agree. That's a fact. Please explain. Uh, the reason why that's a fact is, is normal aging is a slowed process of what you've done all your life, and Alzheimer's is a loss of abilities. That's the best way to look at it. Mm. Okay, thank you very much. And we'll do this last one here for Gwen. I like this one. Uh, here's a statement. Assuming financial control for a loved one with Alzheimer's is easy. <laughs> We've probably seen examples. First of all, it's a myth. We've yeah, seen examples you. in the news um, of uh, famous people who have literally petitioned the courts in order to have someone appoint a person for them. So um, it not only is not easy, it is expensive, and the second expense is really an emotional expense, because in many cases it happens in a public court, um, and it's not easy to act on behalf of somebody who is not of sound mind and to assign a power of attorney or to do something for that person. And that's really one of the big reasons that we do planning, is, is doing that special vacation in advance and planning for it so that the things that you need are already there when the need arises. Thank you. So there you go. That's myth versus facts. So here we go. we got about five minutes left. We've been having this just great, I know, I'm like, wow, this is, kind of, this is going by so fast. But, but this is such an important topic that we were, we're talking about this, and we have to have this conversation. So we've got about five minutes left, guys. And so what I want to do, we talked a little bit in the beginning about the chief complaint. Uh, uh, you know, what's the question of the hour? How do we best care for our loved ones with dementia? In the clinical setting, when somebody leaves my office after we're going in for a consultation, we call it the assessment and plan. And that's when we kind of give somebody their diagnosis, uh, a treatment plan, and most importantly, a follow-up. So here it is. Let's break it on down. Let's bring it on home. So I'm going to start off with Gwen. Gwen, give us uh, a few take-home points for people out there listening to us to be successful on this topic regarding care for their loved ones with dementia. Hmm. Um, I'm calling it ease. Please. E-A-S-E. 
One, engage early so that family members and other stakeholders are aware of what your plan is five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years out, and make sure that the documents are in place to support it, whether that's powers of attorney, uh, trust documents, all of those things are in place. The second thing, which is the A, is to make sure that your dream team, which I spoke about a little bit earlier, is assembled. Medical doctors, um, medical professionals, other medical professionals as well, legal advisors, um, financial advisors, work together to make sure that the plan, in fact, is executable. Third thing is selecting. This is the second team, which is family members, friends, nieces, nephews, uncles, the people that are going to be looking out for those signs. And by the way, the person themselves who expects that this might happen will be directing all of it. So it's their plan, making sure that somebody's checking their, um, their passwords, making sure they're updated, making sure there are no identity theft situations, making sure that bills are getting paid. And then the fourth area, which I think is so important, we've actually begun that step with many, is to engage other family members to have the conversation. You begin the conversation for someone else and say, this is how we're planning to deal with this. We would love to be a resource for you. We can share with you the Alzheimer's Foundation. We can share with you these resources. So the E-A-S-E, -E, which is engaging, um, assembling, selecting other family members, and the last one is encouraging other family members to be a part of the same conversation early and often. Wonderful. Thank That's you, Gwen, for breaking that down. That's I love great. it. Um, and thank you again for coming on my show. It's, it's my been pleasure. A, it's been just awesome connecting with you again. Absolutely. Uh, um, so we will connect again soon. That's a promise, without a doubt. Uh, so thank you very much for taking time on your schedule to help us spread this message. Uh, Dr. Morris, take us home. You know, give us a couple of uh, take-home points for people out there that are listening to, to be successful when it comes to talking about this topic and caring for our loved ones with dementia? Never forget what normal looks like. Mm. That was taught to me early on. Um, I often have families come in and say things don't seem quite right. Well, they probably aren't. So never forget no what normal looks like when it comes to your loved ones, when it comes to yourself. Uh, along with that, uh, as a caretaker or as a support of a caretaker, Please make sure that you take time for yourself. Mm. It is a trying, long-term process. It is a marathon and not a sprint when you decide to assume care for a loved one that suffers from any type of dementia. And then along with that, uh, find out what your resources are. There are many, many, many facilities or many companies that have formed around this group that are willing to help at all different levels of mm. financial obligations. Uh, and many, many, many are them high quality. You know, even if they offer the bare minimum, it is still a high quality, safe place to put mom or dad uh, as they transition. Because as a caretaker, yes, we want to help keep them home as long as possible. That's part of the quality of life. But when it comes to that point where you can no longer take care of mom or dad, you yeah. want someplace safe that you can trust. So then in the final years of their life, you can be this, the child again. You can make those memories before they're no longer. Don't regret it. You've done the best you can. Celebrate the life while you still can. Thank you very that. much. Great great words. Thank you, Dr. Morrison. It's been a pleasure having you on my show. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule to help us promote this important topic. Thank you. And my much. final words are this. You know, we just been having a great conversation, but here's my take on things to wrap it on up. You know, ask what you can do now. You know, take that initiative. We talk about investing in your health and investing in yourself. The same things that apply that you do for you, 
you do for others. When we talk about it takes a village, it took a village to help raise you, it took a village to help, help mm. mold you. It's gonna, it's now it's to pay that forward. You know, we care for our loved ones for a reason. They, they, they do so many wonderful things for us. And it's tough when they go through things like this with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. Make sure that you take time for yourself, but also make sure that you continue to help your loved ones continue to have the most dignity, the most respect, and the continued love that they deserve each and every day. So it's been a great show. Again, I want to announce my guest today, Dr. Jason Morris, licensed clinical psychologist and certified dementia practitioner. Check him out at Renewed Aging Services, www.helptheaging.com. Gwen Cohen, awesome seeing you again. First Vice President, Wealth Advisor at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Check her out. It's at advisor.morganstanley.com slash gwen.cohen slash and I want to do a quick announcement to get to my good colleague from Edward Hospital, Dr. Catherine Stackdick, who did some pre-work. So you've been listening and watching live on Facebook at intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode. The title next week, Work-Life Balance Part 1, The Clinician Perspective. And again, if you enjoyed today's show, I ask you to share with others, share with those that need to hear this message. Uh, if you love everything else too, you can check it out on our podcast. Just type in, go to your favorite podcasting app, type in To Your Health with, to your health with Dr. G and listen and enjoy it all. And of course, again, don't forget to check out my e-commerce store. Get your Dr. G swag going on like this at www.drmarkgomez.com. Hey, let's keep this health revolution going strong. Peace out. Peace out.